You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Hey, today we're starting a new series, and I've been listening to you because I've been had people clamoring for us to do a series on the book of Habakkuk. And I want you to know today is the day we're doing Habakkuk. So, and some of you right now are asking, there's a book of the Bible called Habakkuk? I had no idea that there was actually, there is, surprise. So it's here. Um, So do me a favor. If you are interested, you can read ahead, you can find out kind of what we're going through, what we're talking about, and it's only three chapters, very simple, and today we're going to get started in that. So here's the deal, the the book of Habakkuk was written by the prophet Habakkuk, Um, and it's interesting because most of the prophetic books record what the prophet is saying to the people of Israel. The book of Habakkuk is a little different because it doesn't do that. We don't have any recorded words from Habakkuk to Israel in the book of Habakkuk. It's actually his conversations with God. It's actually his interactions with God and not the people at all. Habakkuk uh, is interesting because it's different in that way. So think about the book of Jonah. He was a prophet. uh, And I think you can make a strong case he was not a very good prophet, but he was a prophet. And the whole book of Jonah was about Jonah. He was the star of the story. Well, God was the star, but Jonah was a primary character in the book of Jonah. And in that way, Habakkuk is similar, that Habakkuk's dialogue is the primary focus of this. Um, And I love this because it is, it's just different in so many ways. And I think this is so deeply relatable to the world we live in today. Because some people, they struggle to connect scripture to their normal everyday lives. And I think that you're going to see there's more relevance with the book of Habakkuk in the world we live in today than what you might imagine. We'll get into that in a moment. So this book was written somewhere around 640 BC, 620 BC, somewhere in that range. They don't know for sure. Um, And they do know it falls in this window between the fall of the two kingdoms of Israel. So I've had questions about this. Let me just explain this to you. Um, In the Old Testament, Israel was united as one kingdom under Saul, under King David, and then under Solomon. And then when Solomon's son became king after Solomon's death, the two kingdoms split. There were 10 tribes of the 12 who came to Solomon and said, we don't like how much we're being taxed. We don't like how how much money you're taking and it's leaving us poor. Does anybody else relate to that a little bit? Like... And they said, we're going to go start another kingdom if you don't fix our taxes. And he was like, deal, you go start your other kingdom. And they did. And so they became the northern kingdom of Israel. And the king of Solomon's son became the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. So it was primarily two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, who banded together to form the southern kingdom of of Judah. So around 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was captured and basically dissolved by the Assyrian empire. So the Assyrians were the major world power at that time, and they invaded and they scattered the Israelites. And this is one of the reasons why even today you might hear about the lost tribes of Israel, because they don't know what happened to all the tribes, all the people. They just were scattered throughout the known world. Um, 
So that happened in 722 BC. Fast forward to 620, 640 BC, somewhere in there. And the Assyrians are still the dominant world power, but their power is starting to wane. They are not as powerful as they once were. And the beginning of the Babylonian empire is starting. They are not the world power that they will ultimately become, but there are starting to be some some shakings in Babylon. So Babylon would be in what is now modern day Iraq. If you go 30 miles south of Baghdad, that is where the Babylonian empire, that was their capital city, Babylon. Um, And so they were beginning to rise as a world power, but they were not anything near where they would ultimately become. So in 586 BC, Babylon would ultimately overthrow the Southern kingdom of Judah. And effectively, that was the end of the Israeli power at that time. And so the book of Habakkuk was written about 40 to 60 years before the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of Judah to the nation of Babylon. So Habakkuk is having this conversation with God at this time when um, Judah was a vassal state for Assyria. So the Assyrian empire had conquered them as well, but they were allowed to maintain rule and maintain authority as long as they were subjected to the Assyrians. So they had some freedom. They had some stability, uh, politically speaking. The Babylonians hadn't overthrown them yet. And this is where God is speaking to Habakkuk and Habakkuk is talking to God. And so this kind of sets the tone for where we're at. So we're going to start Habakkuk chapter one, verse one. It says, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Verse two, this is Habakkuk praying to God. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. This must be written at Christmas time, huh? And then verse four says, the law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. So when I read these first four verses, does that resonate with anybody just a little bit in the world we live in today? It's like, wait a second, that kind of feels like where I feel today. Hey, wait a second, it feels like the wicked far outnumber the righteous in the world we live in today. It feels like you can't trust the court systems at times. It feels like people don't care about justice in the world we live in. It feels like the evil is celebrated and righteousness is shamed And the sentiment of this is, God, do you really see what's going on? God, how many times do I have to ask you to help before you'll help? Because God, I'm I'm asking and there is no action. God, I, I think you're good. And if you're good, why would you let this stuff happen? God, if you were righteous, why would you let evil win? And he's asking these questions that feel wrong for us to ask. God, do you even see what's going on? God, do you even recognize the state of the world we live in today? God, do you pay attention? Because if you're paying attention, you would be as ticked off as I am. 
And we feel like we can't ask those questions or say those things to God. We feel like the only thing we can say to God is we have to like say it in like a mature, like speak with a British accent. King James, uh, the King James version of our prayers. Heavenly Father, I beseech thee today. Like that's the way it's gotta look. And that is not the prayer that Habakkuk is praying. Did you notice this? In fact, if you look at your Bibles, there's some of you actually carrying paper Bibles. At the top, there's headings a lot of times. And the heading is probably the first complaint of Habakkuk or Habakkuk's first complaint. It doesn't even call it a prayer. It's a complaint. He's complaining to God. And most of us would say, I don't know that I can do that. Am I allowed to complain to God? And the answer is yes, actually. And and this is what he's doing. This is actually a lament, is what it's called technically in scripture. And we see laments often in scripture. As a matter of fact, there's a book of the Bible called Lamentations. And it's a book of laments. But we don't feel like we can do this because we feel like all of our prayers have to be dignified and they have to be um, formulaic. I've got to say this in such a way and then God will give me what I want. But this isn't what Habakkuk is doing at all. Habakkuk is saying, God, do you even care? Do you even care? Do you see what's going on in our world and do you even care about it? This is reminiscent of a prayer that David prayed in Psalm chapter 22. And in Psalm chapter 22, he prayed this prayer. You might've heard it before. He said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Has anybody ever been there before? God, I feel so alone. God, I feel like nobody sees me, nobody knows me. I'm hurting so bad. I feel like you failed me. And let's be honest, it's easy to feel like God has disappointed us. And maybe you're here today and you struggle coming to church because God has disappointed you, but I wanna help you with something. God has never, ever, 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 ever disappointed us. He can't. The the reason you feel disappointed is because maybe your prayer is not fully concluded yet. His answer maybe isn't fully concluded yet, but he's never disappointed us. But we feel guilty for saying things like that. God, I feel hopeless. God, I feel so broken. God, I feel abandoned. And we see Habakkuk is praying a prayer like this. We see David in Psalm 22 pray a prayer like this. In fact, that's not the only time David prayed a prayer like that. There were many times that he basically said, I feel hopeless, I feel abandoned, I feel unprotected. And that's how we feel many times. We struggle with feeling like this, but they're not the only ones. This, this prayer might have sounded familiar to you. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because it's also the prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, when he was hanging on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He was actually quoting the psalmist. He was quoting David. Jesus was praying this prayer. God, I feel so alone. I feel so hopeless. I feel so abandoned. God, do you even see me? Do you even know where I'm at? I need you, is what he was saying. So we shouldn't feel bad for feeling this way. We shouldn't feel bad for complaining to God when we have a complaint. God is not insecure. He's ready to receive our complaints if we'll bring them to him. Let me go back to Habakkuk chapter one, verse five. The Lord replied, 
Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Well, that's encouraging, right? God says this. He says, listen, all you see is what I'm not doing, but there are things I'm doing that you're not paying attention to. And this is a lesson for us because so many times we get hung up on what God isn't doing. God, why aren't you doing this? Why won't you fix that? Have you abandoned me? Because I don't see you working here. And in the meantime, we have missed the fact that God is working in all kinds of ways in our lives that we are ignoring because we are so myopic on what God's not doing. Well, God, I've been praying that you'd heal me, but you're not healing me. And God's going, yeah, but your marriage is awesome. Well, yeah, but I need you to heal me. And he's saying, look at what I am doing in your life. And and don't pay so much attention to what I'm not doing. Well, God, I, I need you to bring me a godly spouse. Well, hey, look at all the godly friends you have. God, I need you to give me this healing. Well, look at what I'm doing here. God, I need you to give me a miracle in my finances. And we are missing all the things that God is doing in our lives. And I love, it's, this is so specific with Habakkuk because Habakkuk is a prophet and he, is, he functions to forecast uh, judgment. That's what prophets did in the Old Testament. They would go to the people of Israel and they would say, God is saying, if you don't change this behavior, he's bringing judgment. Now we don't know this specifically, but because Habakkuk was contemporaries with people like Zephaniah and and other prophets, God had spoken to the people and they were just wicked. They were refusing to listen to God. And so they're used to looking down the road, but this is what God said to him. I'm doing something in your own day. He's saying, I'm doing something in your lifetime. I'm doing something that you will see. Be patient. Now that should be encouraging, right? God says, I'm at work. And so I can imagine at this point, Habakkuk is like, all right. Yes, you're gonna do something about this problem of the wickedness in our people, in our nation. So God, bring it on. What are you gonna do? And God said, I'm glad you asked. Verse six. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Some of your Bibles might say Chaldeans. A cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. And I can imagine Habakkuk listening. He's like, now that all sounds bad. When do you get to the good stuff? Like where does the, good, where does the blessing happen? You said uh, you're working and it's gonna happen in my life. When is, when is that? Because I think you overlooked that part. Then in verse 10, it says, they scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They scoff at kings and princes. So this is what the implication is. They they have such might and such power that they do not have to negotiate with kings and princes. They make demands. That They don't roll up and say, well, what can you offer us? They roll up and say, we're gonna take everything you've got or we're gonna kill you. That's the kind of might they have. That they look at the fortresses that they come up to and they're like, oh, look at that cute little fortress. Oh, they think they're going to defend themselves with that because they are so confident in their might 
in their strength and in their abilities. It goes on to say, they simply pile ramps of earth against the walls and capture them. Now, this is literally what the Babylonians did. They didn't invent this, but this is something they would do. Uh, they would encounter fortified cities and they would besiege these cities. And if their, if their supplies would last them too long and the Babylonians got impatient, they would just pile up dirt next to the walls until they had a ramp and they would just flood the city and kill people and take what they wanted. And he said, this is what they're gonna do. Verse 11, they sweep past like the wind and are gone. Have you ever had to tr try to stop the wind from blowing? It's tough. Listen to what this last verse says, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength as their God. Whew. So this is what he says. They are wicked, they're violent, they're evil. They don't trust me, they're ungodly because they only trust their own strength and their own might, their own ability. And, and this is who I'm sending, Habakkuk. You can imagine Habakkuk probably wasn't excited about this, but what he's saying is I'm gonna use the Babylonians to bring correction and judgment on the people of Judah. And if you were Habakkuk and you hear this, you have to be frustrated and afraid and wondering what's gonna happen. But this is what was going on. God was being merciful to his people. See, it would have been easy for Habakkuk to think this was punitive. Like, you're just punishing us. We have been bad, now you're punishing us with the Babylonians. But this is not the heart of God at all. The, the heart of God is, I wanna correct you so that you will stop behaving the way you're behaving. Uh, he was trying to get them to change the path that they were on. And so although it looked like punishment, it wasn't at all. See, God's correction, even at the hand of an enemy, is actually an act of mercy. God is saying, I, want, I love you so much. I care about you so much. I'm going to correct you even if it's hard. I, I've tried correcting you and you didn't listen to me. I tried speaking to the prophets. You didn't listen to them. So I've got to use your enemy. And it's going to be painful. But the pain of correction is better than the pain of no correction. I've said this before, but the reason I corrected my girls when they were little is because when they are infants and babies and toddlers and they throw fits, you correct them. And if you don't correct them, they become grownups who throw fits. And grownups who throw fits don't keep their jobs very long. And they have to move back in with their parents in the basement. And I don't want my kids living in my basement forever. So there is pain when it comes to correcting your children, but there's greater pain if you don't correct your children. And God wants to correct us because he wants us to produce something with our lives. He wants us to be functioning in his kingdom. So he said, even if it takes the Babylonians coming in to correct you, I love you too much not to correct you. It's an act of mercy. This is what God does. I, I, told, I told Saturday night service, I didn't tell the story in the first service today, but um, when I was, a, I was a fresh youth pastor out of Bible college. And I was at a church in East Texas, White House, Texas. I was the youth pastor at this church. And Kim and I were just married. And I was standing in the front of the auditorium at the end for prayer. And a woman comes to me and she says, Pastor, I need to pray with you. My son is far from God. He's rebellious. He's been doing all these things. And he's just walked away from his faith. And she said, would you pray with me for him? And I said, absolutely. So we started praying and 
I asked her her son's name. I don't remember what it was. Let's just say Mike. And I started praying, Lord, I thank you for Mike, that you have a purpose for this young man, that you're going to work in him. But Lord, I pray right now you'd make him miserable until he gets his life right with you. I pray that you would help him find no satisfaction in his life, that every drink of alcohol would only get, leave him empty, that every, every sexual encounter would only leave him more broke. Lord, and, and I'm praying this prayer and my eyes are open and I know the rule that if your eyes are open, the prayer doesn't count. But my eyes were open. So I have my head down. I'm praying for this woman. And as I'm praying for her and I get to that part of the prayer, her eyes open and I, I know she's thinking, I asked the wrong person to pray. He's praying the wrong prayer, right? And we think, I'm sure her prayer, her, she was wanting me to pray, God, I pray that you'd help him land gently back in your kingdom, that he would escape, escape all consequences and pain and ultimately bring him home. But this is the thing, until we bottom out, many times we don't care what God has to offer. We have to get so desperate, we lose it all. That's when we go, all right, I need some help. And I was praying this prayer and it didn't sound very loving, but to me, this was the most merciful prayer I could pray. Hurry up and make him miserable, right? Hurry up and help him get to rock bottom so he can avoid years of this stuff. And this is what God was doing. He was sending these ungodly, these wicked Babylonians to bring judgment, to bring correction and ultimately, hope, hopefully, to bring restoration and reconciliation. I read this verse a few weeks ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul was correcting the Corinthian church. They were doing all kinds of crazy, ungodly things, and he was bringing correction to them specifically in chapter 5. And he said this, he said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is, certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And this is contrary to what we think in our culture today. We think it's, we're not supposed to judge each other. And it's true to some degree. We're supposed to be righteous judges. So we do judge each other though. And we judge each other in this way, not from condescension or anything like that. We come to each other, people we know and love, and we go, hey, listen, I, I saw how you interacted with your spouse. Man, I'm, I'm just a little concerned. How's your heart doing? Hey, I, I've noticed this behavior. I've noticed that you've been doing that. I've known, and, and I'm concerned for you. See, that's godly correction. It's somebody who cares about you and wants the best for you. God doesn't want us treating unbelievers with the same standard we treat believers. So he says, hey, it's not your ju job to judge outsiders. See, everyone will be judged someday, no matter inside the church, outside the church, whatever. God will judge everyone someday. But until then, God calls us to love each other enough to correct each other when we need it, including me. Did you know there's people that correct me from time to time? I invite them to do that. Our staff corrects me from time to time. Our board corrects me from time to time. And that's okay, because I'm not perfect and I need it. Listen to what it said in Psalm 141.5. The psalmist said this, let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it's a soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. He says, let the godly strike me <laughs> and it'll be a kindness. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, imagine being face to face with a friend who's doing something stupid and you're, you're face to face with him. You grab him by the shoulders and you go, snap out of it, right? This is akin to what David is saying. Let the godly strike me. If I'm, being, if I'm being a fool, let the godly strike me so I can be corrected. And it will be a kindness to me. 
It won't be seen as an assault. It'll be seen as a kindness. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for helping me. And this is what happens when godly people will look out for the people around them. And sometimes we go, well, we shouldn't do that. Judge not lest he be judged. And that's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about is us loving each other enough to correct each other when there's something stupid going on. And here's what I want you to understand. It's better to be corrected by a friend than an enemy. I'd rather be corrected by a friend every day of the week than than be so hard-hearted and stubborn that God tries to correct me and tries to correct me and tries to correct me and then he has to use some dramatic means to correct my life. No, thank you. I'd rather be corrected by a friend. Let me go back to verse 12. Here's Habakkuk's response after he just hears that the Babylonians are coming and it's gonna be ugly. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are you who are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. And I don't know if you notice there, there's a question mark. It's not a statement, it's a question. Are you gonna kill us? Is that what you're gonna do? Have you ever had moments like that with your parents? Maybe you were growing up and you thought, I've, done, I've messed up so bad, my parents might actually kill me and start over with a new baby. Like that might be easier for them at this moment. And he's actually asking the question, God, are you gonna wipe us out? Are you gonna kill us? And he says, oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. He's acknowledging, okay, God, I get it. You're sending them our way. And he says this, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? And here's what he's saying. He says, yes, we are bad, but they are worse. Have you ever had a moment like that too? Where you're like, yeah, I'm sinful, but they're really sinful. This is what he's saying. God, why are you using wicked people to bring judgment and punishment on people that, yeah, we're we're not doing great, but we're not that bad. God, why would you use evil people or wicked people for your purposes? We're actually gonna talk about that a little more next week. In the biz, that's what we call a teaser. So be here next week. but he's struggling with this and he appeals to the, the holiness of God. He says, God, you're holy. Why would a holy God use wicked people for his purposes? He's, he's struggling with this. He goes on in verse 14. He says this, are, are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they'll worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. He's saying, God, you're not gonna get any glory out of the Babylonians conquering us. God, you're not gonna be glorified because when they conquer us, they're gonna take the credit for themselves. So God, I don't understand your ways. I don't understand the payoff, what it's gonna produce. None of this makes sense. And I I know you guys are too holy for this but I've had lots of moments in my life where I, I've sat with God and I said, God, I think I know better than you. God, I'm fairly certain there's things I see that you don't see. I'm fairly certain if you just do what I'm telling you to do, this will work out much better. And I'm back having that moment. God, I don't understand why you're doing it. I don't understand how you're doing it. I don't know, know what it's gonna produce, so why would you even do this? He's complaining. Verse 17, 
Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? God, what's going to happen to us? And why would you let evil win? God, what a great question that is. The world we live in today, God, it feels like evil's winning. Why would you let evil win? Do you see what's going on in the world we live in, God? And listen to what he says. End of, ver- end of chapter two, verse one, it says this. He, he resolves this with this question, and then he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. I love that he calls it a complaint. He doesn't even dress it up by calling it a prayer or his request. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, my complaint. I'm ticked off, I'm complaining to God, and I'm gonna see what he says about it, is what he says. He says, I'm gonna climb up to the watchtower and stand at the guard post. This is symbolic because the, the, the people at the watchtower would be the ones that would warn the community of danger. And this is very much what the prophet did. He would warn the community of danger. And even in this position, he's... he's posturing himself to be a warning for other people that may not see that there's danger on the horizon. But I love what he says. And this is kind of the key to the whole day right here. He says, there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. I'm gonna go up to the watchtower and there I will wait and see what the Lord says. You remember what I said earlier, It it is not sinful for us to have a complaint. We feel uncomfortable having a prayer like that with God, but there's nothing wrong with the prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The problem is when we take our complaint to someone other than God. And here's typically what happens in our lives. Something happens or doesn't happen the way we want it to. And we don't take it to God. We take it to our coworker. Can you believe our boss? What a jerk. I can't believe our boss would. Our spouse doesn't act the way we think our spouse should, so we go to our, our friends. Well, my, my wife, my husband, they... Bah, 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 bah. Your kids aren't acting the way you want them to. You talk to your, your spouse. Can you believe your kids are doing... You don't like what your pastor's doing, so you go to... I know that never happens, so we don't have to worry about that one. What do we do? We go to people all the time. Well, I'm just, I know, again, nobody does this here because I'm on social media and I see you don't do this. Sometimes we go to social media and we just put our complaint in the world. And so many times our motivation is wrong because really what we want is people just to come alongside and go, oh, your complaint is so true. Stay strong, brother. Stay strong, sister. You got this. And we're just out for validation. Something I've told people in our church before, and I'll share with you. If, if I'm complaining about something to someone and they don't have the power to fix it, I'm probably gossiping. I'm probably gossiping. Can you believe that this person said da, 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 da? And that's what we do with our complaints so many times. Because here's the thing, your coworker can't fix what your boss is doing. If you're disappointed with something God has done or hasn't done, your peer is not gonna be able to fix that. Did you know that? 
So why, do I, why won't I take that to God? Why don't I take that complaint to God and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand the way you're doing things, why you're doing things. The, I don't understand any of this, but I just need to bring this to you and say, I feel abandoned. I feel like you're holding out on me. I feel like you have not been honest with me. God's not insecure. He can take that. He's a big God. But it hurts our hearts when we go to somebody else. It keeps us from walking in the goodness of God whenever we allow our complaints to go somewhere other than God. Here's what scripture says. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Paul tells the Philippian church, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Everybody here in Indiana and Blairsville say everything. 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 We take it to God. Pray about everything. Not select things, not just the important things. Everything, including our complaints, we bring it to God and go, God, I don't know this. I don't know, know why you're doing this. I'm frustrated about this. God, why have you abandoned me? Listen to what it says. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. God, here's what I need. Here's my petition. But I also acknowledge everything you've done. I see where I feel like you've come up short, but I also see everything you've done for me. God, I acknowledge that. That positions our hearts well to be grateful and thankful. So he says, tell God what you need, but thank him for what he's done. Listen to verse seven. Then you'll experience God's peace. Did you notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, then God will answer every prayer you pray. Everything you ask for, you're gonna get it because God is just like Santa Claus. The promise is peace. It doesn't say you're gonna, it's gonna fix your marriage. It's gonna fix your financial issues. It's gonna fix your kids. It's gonna fix your job stuff. It doesn't say any of that. It says you will have peace so that you can navigate that stuff better. And that peace is not just run-of-the-mill peace. It's peace that exceeds anything we can understand. It's the peace, according to the King James, that passes all understanding. And then listen to this. His peace, talking about the peace of God, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So as we continue to walk in Jesus Christ, then our hearts and our minds are fortified by the peace of God. The reason we don't have the peace of God is because we're not bringing everything to God. I bring all my complaints to everybody else. And then I wonder why I have so little peace in my life. What if we bring this to God instead? What if we start there? Instead of making it our Hail Mary at the end when we're just so desperate and everything's gone and what am I supposed to do? What if I start with that? What if I just purpose in my heart? You know what, before I put somebody on blast on social media or before I go to my coworkers or the people in my small group or all these people and just complain, what if I bring my complaint primarily to God and I say, now I will wait and see what God says. God, what do you say about this? Because God's not insecure. He wants you to bring him your complaints. It's interesting if you look at the book of Job, and this whole book is about complaints, honestly. Job loses everything. He loses his wealth, his family, but he he kept his lovely, encouraging, beautiful wife. (laughs) She really wasn't any of those things, honestly. 
And he's got these friends that surround him and there's all these complaints and there's these complaining things going on and they're telling him what to do and how to do it. And Job brings his complaint to God and God never rebukes him. We never see God rebuke his people for complaining if they're complaining to him. God rebukes the friends in the book of Job. The wife is rebuked because listen, you think you've got a rough wife. Job's wife actually said, your life stinks. Why don't you curse God and let him just kill you and then your life will be over. Some of you think you got a bad wife. If she's never encouraged you to kill yourself, then you're doing better than Job is, okay? (laughs) Maybe it's not so bad. And every one of Job's complaints goes to God ultimately. And I'm telling you today, you will not be rebuked for bringing your complaints to God. We get rebuked for bringing our complaints to others, but not to God. So bring your complaints to God. God's desire is for us to bring everything to him. Everything. Not partially, a little bit, only the good stuff, everything. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said this, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Part of the problem in our lives is that we've been carrying this bitterness and these complaints and these issues in our lives so long. We, we share them with others, but they, they can't carry those things for us. And we've failed to bring them to the right place. We failed to give those things to God. And because of that, we're carrying them ourselves. And Jesus says, hey, come to me. If you've got a heavy load that you can't carry, your back is breaking under the weight, bring me the burdens that you are never meant to carry and let me carry those for you. And some of you are here in this place, you're in Blairsville, you're watching online, and you are carrying weight you were never meant to carry. And Jesus is here today saying, bring me that excess. Let me take that off of you so you can walk the way you were meant to walk. God's desire is for us to bring everything to him, including the bad stuff, including our complaints, including our questions. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I feel so alone. I feel so hopeless. I'm in this marriage. I'm in this group of people. I'm in, I'm in all, but I feel isolated. Bring that to God today. I can't fix your problems. God can. I can't fix your marriage. I can't heal your heart. I can't fix your finance. I can't fix your kids. There's nothing I can do. You do not pray in the name of Mel. We pray in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. God wants you to bring everything to him today. And when we do, he can do something with it. And I'm not even saying he will for sure. Here's what I'm saying though. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God, you might fix my problem, but maybe you'll fix me. God, you, you might change the circumstances, but maybe you just want to change me. So God, give me your peace that passes all understanding so I can navigate this broken, flawed, messed up world in a way that brings you glory and honor. I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville and they're gonna close out our time. They'll give you a chance to respond. Love you guys very much. Have an awesome day. God bless you. You thought it was all gonna be fun and games when we got in Habakkuk, didn't you? You thought it was gonna be easy. Some heavy stuff today. I think God is confronting some things in our own hearts and our own lives today. And I wanna encourage you to be open to that. Open your heart today and say, Holy Spirit, whatever you wanna do, whatever you wanna draw out of me, whatever you wanna speak, do it.
My hope is that we will corporately as a church be better at being honest with God, which sounds silly because God knows us, but being authentic with him, with how we really are and how we're really feeling. Because we are good, churches are good at putting on a show and doing the things we think we need to do to make God happy. But what I would love for us to do is be authentic enough with God to be able to pray prayers like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's nothing wrong with that prayer as long as it's to God. And he wants to take it. And I know there are some people in this place today, there's some people watching online, you are so broken and you're so hurt and you're so disappointed. And you feel like God has abandoned you and I want you to know Not for a second have you been abandoned. Not for a minute has God forgotten about you. And what I would encourage you to do today is just be honest with God. Say, God, I've been taking my complaints everywhere else, but I'm gonna bring it to you today. He's not offended by that. He wants that level of intimacy with you. If you'll be honest with him and vulnerable with him, but it takes something from you too. I would love to pray for you. So I'd like everybody in this place to bow your head and close your eyes. God, thank you for loving us like you do. I can't understand it. I can't fathom why you do because we are a mess. We are, <laughs> we are jacked up people. But thank you that we are yours and you love us with a love that we can't begin to fathom. God, I pray for those that do feel abandoned. They do feel hopeless. They do feel like you have let them down. I pray today, God, their eyes would be open to the reality of who you are, that they've never been forgotten. They've never been abandoned. They've never been left alone. And God, I pray as they're complaining to you and being vulnerable with you, I pray that their, their hearts would be healed, that they'd be made whole and they would see your goodness, that, that their view would be so focused on what you have done that they would overlook what their grievance is with you, what their hurt is. So God, I pray healing and wholeness in this place. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would deliver the peace that we desperately need because God, we don't expect you to translate us out of our problems, but God, we are asking that we desperately need your peace in the midst of our problems, no matter what we're dealing with, the world, the culture we live in, our families, our homes, our, finances, uh, our financial situations, whatever it is, God, I pray that we need a deposit of your peace today to guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. God, I pray for those that, that recognize today they don't really know you, that maybe they've never really walked with you. Maybe they've been very religious. They've been baptized or confirmed, but they, the, at the end of the day, they haven't been walking with you. And let today be the day they say yes to authentic, real relationship and intimacy with you. So God, speak to us in these final moments together. Now, nobody's looking around with your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say to me, Mel, I know I'm not really walking with God, but I wanna be. I don't want just this religious thing where I show up and sing some songs and leave and I'm unchanged. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to know God today. I want to be able to pray these vulnerable prayers to God, these intimate prayers where I bring my complaints to him. I want all that stuff. 
I'd love to pray for you if you say, yeah, today's my day. Would you be bold enough to just put your hand up if you'd say, Mel, I wanna surrender my life to Jesus today. I wanna know him, I wanna walk with him. I'd love to pray for you. And if that's you, would you put your hand up real high? Yeah, thanks. I see you, buddy. You can put your hand down. Awesome. Thank you. On my right, a couple of hands on my right. Thank you so much. Who else would say that's me? Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Thank you on my far left. I see you over there. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Awesome. Yeah, thank you on my left. I see you, buddy. Praise Jesus. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Romans chapter 10, verse nine says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer together. I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this is not my prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God today. So I'm asking you to pray this prayer with me. You confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. So everyone in the room, pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, my whole life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old life and my old ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause. Thank you, Lord. Listen, the word of God tells us that you are a new creation today. If you prayed that prayer, it doesn't mean that all your problems are gone. It doesn't mean that everything is magically fixed. What it means is the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus as you walk in Christ. And so we wanna help you navigate these seasons that you're in. And so if you prayed that prayer, help us help you with that by simply, you can do a couple things. Number one, you can fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. Fill it out, stop by the next step table in the lobby and tell them, let them know, give that to them. They're gonna give you some resources and we're gonna point you in the right direction so that you can actually walk with Christ. We wanna help you do that. The other thing you can do if you'd prefer, or if you're watching online, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000, let us know about your decision and uh, we're gonna help you take the next step. And even if you text that instead of filling out the card, please stop by the next step table before you leave today and let us help you with your next step. Right now, um, Pastor Todd and Emma are going to lead us in a final song. We're going to sing together. And while we're singing this last song, some of our prayer team is going to be available on either side of this platform. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter how big or small your need might be, we are here to pray with you. So please let us know. As we're singing, you can step out from your seat, find one of our team members, and let us pray for you. Uh, even after we're dismissed in a moment, as people are leaving, if you'd like to make your way forward, our team is here to pray for you. And, and please don't let shame or embarrassment keep you from being prayed for today. If that's all it is that's keeping you from a miracle, um, set that aside. And who cares about that? Let's see God work. So let our team pray for you before you go. Uh, and don't forget, Wednesday night is, is waiting room. We're going to have an awesome night of worship. So be here Wednesday night for that at seven o'clock. Stay on your feet. Let's worship together one more time before we go, guys. I love you all so, so, so very much. And I am so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.